welcome to the Go and Tell Gals podcast with Jess Connolly and Kenesha Bikes. Today, we're talking to one of our friends, a woman who runs on mission. We are praying this conversation leaves you fired up and ready to go right where you're at. We're super thankful for you. Let's go. So you guys, I am here with Aaron Hottie Miller, who is one of the most outstanding human beings I have met this week, honestly. <laughs> this week. I mean, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't like, you know, you really exaggerate. You know, you are an amazing human being. But no, seriously, I am so excited about talking to you. We're actually in here together in the studio having a conversation today face to face, which is something that I've not had a chance to do yet. So I'm super excited about just yeah. sitting. You know, the energy is different. When we're in the, room exactly with the pandemic started. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But author, wife, builder. Also a woman who has her PhD, which I'm really, really impressed by. I mean, I think that just means a lot that you're committed to your education. That means a lot to me personally. So I'm really interested into digging into all of that. But outside of all of those things, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our friends on the other side. Yeah, so I live in Durham, North Carolina. My husband and I lead the other Bright City Church. We are about two and a half years old now. Our church launched about a year and a half before the pandemic started. And I have a teaching pastor role there. My husband's the lead pastor. And then I'm also an author. And I, in my previous life, I used to travel and speak. (laughs) So that's got to be in a nutshell. Yeah, which now you don't travel and speak so much, but you still speak quite frequently because you are building mm-hmm. a church. Yeah, so I'm getting to preach regularly at my church, which is amazing. I was going to say that probably is so awesome. And also, side note for those who are wondering why you said the other bright city, Jess and her husband, Nick, mm-hmm. also pastor a church here in South mm-hmm. Carolina. Mm-hmm. Under the name Bright City, yeah. So it's kind of a story behind that, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I I've told Jess this before. I've told the story a few different places. It's really a sweet story. So we were praying about planting. God was calling us to plant. We were praying for a name, and we had come to Charleston because this is we have a lot of history here. This is where my husband proposed. A lot of our dating story took place in Charleston. And so we come down here right around our anniversary. And while we were down here, we were asking God for a name for our church. And one of the things we did leading up to planting is we visited a lot of churches to learn learn about them. And I had known of Jess, and so I knew they they had planted. They were meeting at a school at the time, and so I was like, well, "Let's just go and visit and see kind of what they're doing, what it's like." Yeah. So we came and visited, and they were just starting a series called Bright City, and at that time, their church was called Gospel Community, I believe. Yes. And so they they were just starting a series. It was the first sermon in the series called Bright City. And it was amazing because as soon as I saw the graphic Bright City, I thought, that's it. That's our church name. And we left right after. I didn't, we didn't even say hello to her guests. I think we had brunch reservations. And so we just dashed out. And as soon as we got in the car, my husband turns to me and says, what do you think about the name Bright City Church? And I was like, I literally had the same thought. Wow. 
And so we decided to spend some time just praying about it and looking at other names and just nothing felt right. Like yeah. Nothing felt like it was supposed to be you know, the name. And so we eventually we settled on that. But the really funny part of the story is about really a month before we announced that we were launching a church at all, Nick and Jess announced that they were rebranding the name of their church as Bright City Church. Wow. And so that was really funny because when we announced our church, a lot of people were like, oh, are you guys connected? And we're like, no, like, I don't even know them. <laughs> but through that, we we don't live too far from here. It's like yeah. a four-hour drive. Yeah. And through that, we reached out to each other and eventually developed a sweet friendship because of it. And so it's been a, a huge gift because I think we have a similar vision. Yeah. And we are both couples leading churches. Yeah. And so it's it's just been such a grace from God. I love that. I love that. So you spoke about the vision just now. You guys have a similar vision. So I kind of want to like take the conversation mm-hmm. in that direction. As far as your vision is concerned, obviously, as you know, we here at Go and Tell Gals are all about mission. And one of the things that we always talk about here is personal mission. So I'd love for you to kind of dive into with me what mission looks like for you. Well, that has definitely evolved over the years. When I was first in ministry and I first graduated from seminary, I didn't work in a church. I never thought I would be a pastor. Yeah. I did college ministry for a number of years. But for a lot of women, and I'm, I'm kind of like a lot of women this way, a lot of women carve out places for themselves in the yeah. church because yeah. there aren't always just traditional paying jobs in churches. Right. And so women tend to be you know, pioneers in a lot of ways where they're they're forging a way where there is no way. And so I was writing a lot and speaking some. And then during that time is when I did my PhD. Mm -hmm. And then after I finished my PhD is when I started publishing books. And so that was kind of what I thought I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, honestly. And then when God called us to plant a church, it was actually my husband's. He really wanted me to be a pastor yes. in the church. Yes. Really important to him. And so that that's how, like, I, I always kind of joke, if anyone, you know, has an issue with me being pastor, I just tell them that I'm submitting to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, now my primary mission, honestly, is our local church. Yeah. And our community and being, you know, the light of the world where we are at. And that is honestly what I'm most passionate about. As much as I love traveling and and meeting people all over the country and world, I really just love our little flock and just shepherding them. Yeah. There are a few things that you mentioned that just I literally took note on that I want to pull back out. Mm-hmm. And one of them is obviously the thing that I'm excited about that I said at the beginning, the fact that you you know went to seminary, you have your PhD. But tell us what your PhD was focused, like yeah. what your focus was. So my, I, the shorthand I always give people is that it's on women and calling. Yeah. But really what I looked at is why evangelical women go to seminary. And the reason I was curious about that is I discovered that nationwide, outside of evangelical seminaries, the percentage of women in MDivs, at the time I was doing my research, was about 30%. So yeah. 30% of MDiv students 
the MDiv is the the degree that people get. It's kind of the standard degree mm-hmm. for going into ministry. And so women composed thirty percent of MDiv students, but at evangelical seminaries, it was much much less than that. Wow. And so I was curious, on the one hand, I was curious, why is it so low? But then I thought, you know, I'd rather do what's called an appreciative inquiry. Mm -hmm. And what you are essentially doing is looking at the women who went, why? Like what worked for them when so few of their peers make the same decision? Correct. And so I went to different seminaries and interviewed women and asked them basically to just tell me their stories. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for common denominators. Like, what are the common factors that are in place for all these different women? Yeah. And then maybe that's something that, that the church can replicate to continue encouraging women mm-hmm. to steward their calling by getting formal training. And so that was what the project was. And it was a really, I loved it. (laughs) Really inspiring. And all the women that I got to meet and talk to, I was really inspired by them. So it was a wonderful doctoral project. Yeah, I love that. I think it's really interesting from what you're saying is just this idea that we as human beings in general tend to box ourselves in what either we are comfortable with or others have told us we should be comfortable with. And I think that when we look at that through the microscope and kind of zoom in a little bit more and look at that in the context of being a woman, I think that we can take out a little bit more information there where culture has determined and has communicated to us that we are only fit for certain spaces, certain places, and certain uh, occupations, right? I think you you spoke to that a little bit, the fact that your husband says, no, I want you to have a voice here. I want you. And that that is not something that is largely accepted, as we know, in the church, right? So it's a bit of a counter-cultural thought. But that brings me to one question that I have, which is, you know, with the experience that you have you know, with your PhD and then obviously just your life experience now being a leading male leader in the church, is there a difference between the way women handle mission and the idea of mission or the way we see mission versus the way men handle or see mission in the church specifically? Like, what is your experience with that? That's a really interesting question. And in some ways, it's it's difficult to answer it because the opportunities for mission are a little bit different for men than they are for women. And so I think that just naturally probably creates different ways. You know, there's necessity is the mother of invention, and, and I think that creativity, like crisis creativity, like like wherever you know you're hemmed in or there's boundaries or there's limitations. That can also, it it can limit, but it can also produce creativity. And I think that that is actually something women have become masters at. You know, men, they have the pastorate available to them. And if you're called to ministry, that's sort of what most men think, well, I should become a pastor. I mean, obviously not all do that, but there's a pretty clear pipeline but for women, that is not available to most women. And so whenever women feel called to ministry, they then have to think, well, okay, what is this going to look like for me practically? Yeah. If this one main option is not available to me, then what? 
And I, I think a lot, I love the, the parable of the sower and the idea of God, you know, casting out seed, the sower casting out seed, and the kind of haphazardness of, of seeds just growing like and even if there's something sort of like in the way, plants have a way of like growing up around them. And that's a little bit the way that I see women in ministry is yeah. there's these obstacles in the way, but they grow up around them. Anyway. And I think that's why women are such powerhouses in social media yeah. is that is a huge platform that is available to them. Yeah. I think it's also probably why women are such powerhouses in publishing as yes. well. Is you see this one area that, that is limited, they're, they're not as much allowed in there as yeah. in these other areas, they're just dominant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I 1000% I agree with you. I think that it's really interesting to see women, us, flourish in those spaces. We are relational, right? Like we are literally divinely created for relationship and as humans, but then even more so, I think the gift that God has bestowed on women is that we are relational to the end. We yeah. love talking. We mm-hmm. love connecting. We love building communities. So that's really great. I'm super curious about how you have personally grabbed a hold of that, though, as truth for yourself in the space that you take up. Like as a one of the lead pastors for your church, as a female, knowing what you know historically, you know, for the church, because, you know, without getting into too much detail because we really don't have that much time, mm-hmm. but just the, the historical context of women in their place, where we have placed women mm-hmm. in the church or where, where others have placed women in the church. How do you do it? Like, how do you move forward? How do you grab hold of that again as true for yourself and actually walk out your mission, walk out this calling that you know God has given you to do? Well, I have been very fortunate because I am surrounded by men who advocate for me. Mm-hmm. And so my husband is my number one advocate. And second is probably my dad. Yeah. Just growing, yeah, growing up, my dad, he was the kind of person, he saw my ministry gifts pretty early mm-hmm. and he would, he would kind of jokingly say, don't let anyone ever, you know, tell you you can't do wow. anything and like, I'll fight them. You know, <laughs> And so your father, I mean, the picture there even is your father was advocating for you as your heavenly father also. And so I I think I, for a long time, I've taken that that covering for granted Mm -hmm. because I never, I've never doubted it. And whenever I've encountered people who believe differently, I think because of my background, my go-to when I, when I encounter someone who, you know, what's belittle me or whatnot. Yeah. I just think well, this is a you problem. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. And that takes a lot of courage to, to even speak to yourself, to be able to separate someone's behavior yeah. from your identity, right? Yeah, I, I just honestly, I, I don't struggle with it that much. Yeah. And that is, that is unusual. Yeah. That is unusual. You know, a lot of women are in contexts where they're fighting to feel seen. And I have not felt that way very often. Yeah. So I honestly have been really grateful and lucky. (laughs) But I think that's also probably one of the reasons why my husband really pushed me to take the role that I had. I was not 
totally on board with being a pastor when we first launched the church, yeah. not for theological reasons, but more for stage of life. Yeah. I had launched our church. I just had my third child. I was finishing my second book. Mm. I was traveling and speaking. I didn't have a, much bandwidth. And I, when you have the title of pastor that has expectations attached to it, and I wasn't sure if I could deliver on that. So I said that to him, and and he said, well, we live in an area, so the Raleigh-Durham area is one of the most highly educated areas in the country. Women are leading in every sector. Mm -hmm. They are doctors, they're lawyers, they are professors, they are CEOs. And they're they're leading everywhere except in the local church. Mm -hmm. And he sort of used my doctoral research against me a little bit because one of my findings, and, and this isn't new to my research this has been borne out in research about like women in STEM fields, but was the importance of role models. That is huge for women. They can just see other women leading in some capacity. It sort of creates a new category of possibility for them. And so he had said, we need role models. We need women who are leading in the church. You know, this is how you can steward your influence in this area. And so I really you know, he was absolutely right. And I think that's why it's, it has been important for me to step out into those spaces, not for me. And, and this is this is what I want women to hear who are listening. If, if you feel called to leadership or you feel called to ministry and you're kind of doubting your motives and you're feeling like, well, is this just for me? Am, am I promoting myself too much? Like, am I making this more about me than, than God? I mean, to some extent, yes, because we're a human. And we all, yeah. like men and women, we all sinners do that. Yes. But it's important to understand that this is a matter of stewardship, of stewarding the body of Christ. Right. And that if you step into a position of leadership, that creates a new reality for all the women coming after you. Yeah. And so it's tremendously important if, if you're feeling like this is hard, I'm hitting roadblocks, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Like an- another metaphor that I often talk about is sledding. So we lived in Chicago for four years and tons and tons of snow. And you get that first bit of snow and you, you go out sledding. You know, the first person down that hill very often would be the one carving out the sledding path. And it could be like bumpy or they could hit a rut and stop or they can kind of veer way off to the left or the right. And it's kind of slow going. But the more people come after them, it's like slicker and slicker and faster and faster yeah. and you get a really carved out path. Yeah. And so I I want to say to women is many of you are the first sledders. Yes. You are the ones carving out the path. Yeah. And what you are doing is not just for you and it, it is very hard and you will go into rest mm-hmm. and you will get off course and you will feel like you're going impossibly slow, but someone must do this work someone. in order for the body of Christ to function fully as God designed it. Hey gals, it's Brenna. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you know Team Go and Tell Gals, you know that we are passionate about counseling and therapy. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. What is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and you'd like some tools to help. 
or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, or maybe you're not dealing well with stress and you just need someone to talk to. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve abundance. And now you don't have to even worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, a phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to worry about seeing anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. It's always a good time to invest in your mental health. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Go and Tell Gals listeners get 10% off of their first month at betterhelp.com slash gointellgals. That's betterhelp.com slash gointellgals. Okay, back to the show. That's so beautiful. I think that's a great illustration and makes it so clear. I actually was going to ask you, you know, what would you say to others who are out there who are maybe struggling with as a woman, as a female preacher, teacher, leader, in the church or as female leaders, preachers and teachers in the church, those who may be struggling and not have, you know, the support that you say you've had and who have had the advocates, you know, who have come alongside them to say you can do this, who actually, I think, speaking as just even from a, from a Black experience, like there's a difference between being invited to the table and actually having authority and not just having a seat at the table, but really like, right? So you put that in the context of gender and male and female dynamics within the church, it's, it's the same thing. There's a difference between saying that I can come in, but I have to follow your rules, I have to abide by your culture, versus I am actually giving you the authority and the power that technically I don't even have because God is the one with the authority, right? Like we're just stewarding what he's given us. But there's a difference between, you know, saying I'm the one who I'm actually going to give you some of this power. I'm going to give you some of this authority. I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to humble myself to be able to spread the wealth, if you will, part of the fun. But I think that that is so vital and so important to not just women, but obviously the body of Christ at large. I do want to pivot just a little bit in the conversation here. And I'm still keeping in suit with mission, but obviously kind of maybe sometimes the elephant in the room, but maybe not so much these days, depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a lot of things happening in the church, a lot of conversations happening. We give them all kinds of labels. We call it social justice, Mm -hmm. racial reconciliation, or racial conciliation, because a race conciliation, because there's really never been conciliation, right? right? So I've just been lately thinking for me, myself, my family, personally, my kids, about what God is asking us to do and what he's calling us to. Like, what is the heart of God for this? And going back to scripture and going back to not social media, not conversations that people are having online, which can be beneficial, but they shouldn't be, you know, the center. They shouldn't become gospel. They shouldn't become you know, our truth, but really searching and asking God to search my heart and search our hearts and really having a desire to have God take whatever it is that is in me right now, because there is a passion, desire and a burning for, for race reconciliation. But also as I'm on mission, as I'm walking that out, what does that look like in my day to day? And have I seen things wrong in the past? Have I thought about things in a way that's contrary to what the heart of God is or to what scripture says, right? All that to say, I am so curious about 
for you as you walk out, you know, this new space in your life. You guys have been leading the church now for two, two and a half years, I think mm-hmm. you said. And as things begin to kind of bubble up, I wanted to be really careful about my language, but I also want to get to you answering and having given you space to actually respond. How has mission changed or shifted for you with that kind of in being in the rear view, but also becoming more in your front view, which, you know, obviously you being a leader in the church, you know, now building a community, like what does mission look like for you with that as part of, you know, what you're doing? Specifically talking about race, would you say? I think so. Yeah. So my husband and I have been on kind of a journey thanks to our mentor, Derwin Gray. Yeah. Do you know his name? I do. I do. I'm friends with Alex, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so we've known Derwin since before we got married. Mm-hmm. And we connected with him several years ago when we started planting. And he has been a mentor to us, not just on this, but just generally. Yeah. <laughs> But I personally, I've never met him, but yeah, I, he's know. been a true speaker to yeah, us on so beautiful. many different occasions. But this is an area too where I love my husband has especially been just captivated by Derwin's teaching mm-hmm. on the multi ethnic church. Mm-hmm. And the shift that I think has taken place in both of us is I used to see the multi-ethnic church, that that vision of having diversity in the church as being kind of an icing on the cake, you know, like there's all these natural outworkings of the gospel and like just one, there's others. And if this is, you know, something that you're passionate about, then like, great, you know, go after that. But one of the things that Derwin helped us to understand is that this was the first and defining witness of the church mm-hmm. at Pentecost. Yes. That when the Holy Spirit comes, what it does is it unites diverse cultures yes. and ethnicities yes. into one. That yes. is it. Yes. Nothing else. Yes. That yes. is yes. it. Yes. And that to me was such a huge shift in, in understanding that this isn't just the, the icing on the cake, yeah. but this yeah. is. Goal. Yeah, this is meant to be. This is the gospel. Yeah, that, that Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit comes and destroys that mm-hmm. dividing wall of hostility. Yeah. And we can look around and we can see why this was meant to be yes. the witness of the church yes. because we are so divided in so many different ways. Yes. Like the gospel was supposed to sweep through, and initially it did. Yes. I mean, you look at like Romans 16. Yes. And it's easy to just gloss over all the names yeah. that Paul mentions. Yeah. What is well, being mentioned? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like you have men, you have yes. women, yes. you know, women who are like commended as yes. as leaders. Yes. I mean, the, the letter of Romans was delivered by a woman, which would have meant she taught it, right? You know, right. she would have expounded upon it. You mm-hmm. have 
people who were enslaved. You had people who were governing authorities. You had Jews. You had Gentiles, which yeah. is also something that Darwin really helped us understand is that Jew and Gentile is not just a religious or cultural difference. Right. It is an ethnic is. difference. Yes. And so you have all these people that are brought together because the gospel has changed their lives. Mm-hmm. And none of those categories are their identity anymore, right. but their identity is in Christ. And that right. doesn't mean that it erases those things. Absolutely. But that their what unites them is no longer culture. What right. unites them is no longer race. What unites them is Jesus. Yes. And so once that my eyes were open that this is woven all throughout and and even just little things like like one thing we've encountered as we've talked more about this is, is people saying, Why do we have to talk about this? Yes. You know, why can't we just you know I was just gonna say I think what we've wanted is we want to get to that place that you mm-hmm. just mentioned. We want to get to the unity mm-hmm. the, what we read yeah. in scripture, but we can't do that yeah. until we have well, the thing that I want to say is like, how's that going? Right. You know, like how's that going? Right. The kumbaya, like let's just be united. When does that ever work? If you even take it out of the context of scripture yeah. and, race, and you just think about the example of our families, mm-hmm. right? Family dynamics. Mm-hmm. When does it ever work for me as a mother? Mm-hmm. Which I'm not saying I have, but again, how's that going? That could be your next book, probably. Maybe that's my next book. Or how could it ever work for me if I offend or hurt my child, any of my sons, I have three sons and a daughter or any of my kids, that if I'm like, you're fine, that happened two weeks ago. If my son is hurt by something that I said or did to him, I would never, my desire would never be that I would just gloss over it and say, but that happened a long time ago, right? Yeah. So when you take that out of that context and put it into the mm-hmm. context of this conversation, yeah. we wouldn't want to do well, that yeah. even more so. If someone gets a cancer diagnosis, you're not like, let's just believe that right. it's going to go away. Right. You know, right. you have to go in there and cut right. oftentimes right. to heal. Right. And the verse that's often cited is, is Paul saying, well, there, there is no Jew or Gentile. Yes. There's no slavery free. And so yes. we don't need to think about these. But in that exact same letter, he talks about opposing you know, Peter to his face. Right. Right. And so it's not that he's saying the solution is just to look the other way. The solution is not to be colorblind. The solution is to actually look directly in the face of it and deal with it. And then, and so that has been a huge shift for us in terms of our thinking and, and also just giving us, you know, conviction and, and humility and repentance, but also courage that it's not just that. And, and this is this is one, the last thing I'll say about what I appreciate about Derwin is Derwin, he says that often what has happened is we've started with sociology mm-hmm. and then gone to scripture, gone mm-hmm. to theology. And he says that approach has a lot of problems with it. Yes. But it's also not very credible to other Christians. Mm-hmm. And because we have to start with scripture. Yeah. But the good news is it's there. Right. We've just explained right. it away or, or right. ignored it, but it is there. Right. And so that's that has been a big shift for us. I love that. Thank you so much for responding to that and thoughtfully. I think that we are and we talked a little bit about this before, but I think that we have such a great opportunity right now as the body of of Christ to reckon with some of the things that we have very willfully in in a lot of situations accepted. And I think we just are in such a powerful time 
And I'm excited. I'm excited for, for what's ahead and for the opportunity that arises. I refuse to be hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I, even though I know that for so many of us, not that I don't get there, you know, but I refuse to stay there. Yeah. So thank you. Hopefully that is helpful. For well, if I can say one more thing, and this is kind of on my heart when you brought this up to speak to my eight sisters, yeah. is the biblical principle that I've had to work out again and again, not just with this, but just generally in, in the Christian life, is the centrality of dying to self mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how life does not come without death. Resurrection does not come without death preceding it. Yeah. And this this is the way of the cross. You know, this this is what it means to take up Jesus's cross. And, and this plays out in so many different ways. Like it, it honestly even shapes the way I think about confronting sin in, in our church is I, I think we want to stand from a distance yeah. and say, I see sin over here. Yeah. You know, there needs to be discipline. We're going to stay, we're going to stay over here and you know, where it's, where it's safe and, right. and we don't have to get dirty. We don't have to get involved. And the, the abundant grace of God is that he did not deal with our sin that way, yeah. that he, he came close and yes. entered in it. He picked it up, yeah. you know, on himself. Yeah. and how rarely in the church are, are doing that, even when we're confronting people who are, you know, honest to goodness, like in sin, you yeah. know, how we need to partner with it mm. and help them carry it, help bear the burden of repentance. Yeah. And, and that involves some dying to ourselves, but in this issue as well, how we must die to ourselves again and again and yes. again. And any time where we say, but, 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 you yeah. know, what about power? Yeah. You know, say, you can trust because of the resurrection. If you just die to yourself in yeah. this moment, it will not go in vain. Absolutely. That God will use it in some way. Yeah. But by us preserving ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, self-preservation is, we are, is right? not the way of the gospel. We're really, we're really actually. And so that would be that would be just my my word, you know, not just for the topic of race, but just generally speaking, I think that this is a really underestimated, overlooked, central practice of the church that we need to take more seriously. I don't disagree with you. I feel like that's another podcast episode. (laughs) What a beautiful concept, though, and a beautiful reminder to end that we have a beautiful opportunity to step into the grace, to step into the salvation, to step into the glory of God in our lives with allowing ourselves to look at the filth, to look at the hardness, to look at the heaviness and say, I need you to help me with this. Yeah, Friend, how can we be praying for you in this season? Oh, goodness gracious. One thing that I've discovered since we came to the church and that I think is important for anyone to know who is not a pastor <laughs> is that pastors are on the front line of spiritual warfare in a way that I did not understand and probably could not have understood yeah. until we, Satan mm. hates the church. Literally. He hates the church. Yeah. And the spiritual warfare, it is oppressive. Mm. It is suffocating. Mm. It is just unreal. And so I love prayer <laughs> for protection and 
courage and endurance and would definitely say pray for your pastor as well, like wherever you are. And encourage them that they, it will never, encouragement will never be wasted. So that would be what I need. Oh, I love you so much. Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your heart and just being just so authentic and true and just such a wonderful human being. We obviously haven't spent a ton of time together, but in the short time that I've been able to spend with you, you are absolutely now one of my favorite people. (laughs) Seriously, thank you so much for being with us and we'll uh, see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are grateful that you were able to listen in. If you love this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review so other friends can find this episode? We pray it encouraged you and left you feeling equipped to run on mission right where you're at. We're super grateful for you and we will see you next week.